Welcome to Porchlight, a place to chat, share testimonies, encourage and inspire one another. Only found on Firefall Talk Radio. Get comfortable and get ready. Here's Richard Grund. Hey, welcome to another Porchlight. We're going to get back to doing the testimonies, as I've said on um, the porch on Wednesday nights. If you don't listen, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., Firefall Talk Radio. But I've mentioned somebody there who's a member of the SRT team, came on as our camera guy, became a part of the team. His name's Greg Messina. He's from Long Island, New York. And I asked Greg to come on and share some of his testimony with us, and we're just going to chat. Hopefully it blesses you. If it does, you reach out to us. Go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button and let us know. We're going to be doing more of these. So let's bring... um, Greg on there he is there he is excuse the technical problems I'm not the technical techie guy he is that's why we bring him along so hey that's brother right. how are you I'm doing good thank you brother I'm doing really good thank you for having me on I really appreciate it um it's it's such a blessing to be able to share uh, what the Lord's done in my life and uh, I really appreciate this I really do cool cool speaking of cool it's cold up there isn't it it is uh, it is in the 30s right now in New York. Uh, you know, we, we have had even colder weather. We had yeah. a really cold snap. It was uh, 16 degrees about two weeks ago, uh, the full week. Um, yeah, it, it gets pretty cold here that. in New York. During the- <laughs> I don't miss that. I don't miss it at all. I bet you don't. I bet you don't. And We have, we have 30, 30 degrees lately, and uh, it's killing me because I take the dogs out early in the morning, and it's cold. It's yeah. cold. But, 30, uh, 30 degrees is a heat wave. Uh, I, I well, you know, I joke about that with my wife. I said, when I lived there as a teenager, it got to 40 degrees. We're playing basketball with no jackets. We're playing softball. Now I would die. <laughs> I'd literally <laughs> die. <laughs> so, I I, uh, I envy you. I got to be honest. Uh, you know, if there's any place I want to be right now, it, it would be down south. Well, keep praying for the Lord to bless us and you will be. All right. We won't be. I'll pray. I'll pray hard. No, yeah. I'll pray um, hard. Speaking of Long Island, now that's is that where you were born and raised? So uh, I was actually born in New York, New York, New York, New York. Uh, I was born uh, as Gregory Santana, believe it or not. Ah, okay. Uh, yes, uh, Gregory is is adopted. Is uh, I am one of three who have been adopted uh, growing up. Uh, so let me get into a little bit how. Gregory Santana became Gregory Messina. Um, so, yeah, I was uh, born in New York, New York, in uh, December 19th, 1977. So to some of you, that's probably, uh, you're probably saying I'm, I'm a little baby, uh, but uh, that's quite all right. I think it's all relative when it comes to age, especially in the kingdom. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I uh, was actually in a foster care for quite some time, at least 18 months of my life um, until I was adopted by a uh, Italian and uh, Italian father and Danish mother, um, Alan Elaine Messina. And uh, I was very, very blessed to come to that place, to that home. Uh, my uh, Both my parents, uh, I didn't know my bio- biological parents at all, of course, but um, my adoptive parents had... Uh, it raised me very well. I, I have to say, um, I, I was blessed in a uh, 
in a household, a three-story home, believe it or not, uh, in Belport, Long Island, New York. And uh, it was, um, both my parents were in, were teachers. Uh, they started as teachers, at least my mom kind of went over to becoming a guidance counselor. And, um, and she was always there throughout my life. Um, I got to be honest with you, but she, uh, she was there at the, at the junior high. She followed me to high school. So, uh, you know, that's one of those things where not many people can say they have their mother, uh, you know, passing you in the hallway each, mm. each day, uh, in school. But, um, it just turned out that way. You know, my dad was an English teacher. My mom started as a science teacher and then uh, became a guidance counselor. So, you know, grew up in a middle-class family household. My had, uh, I have two siblings. I have a brother and sister, both younger than me. Um, they have both, uh, you know, grown to be great, great people. I would like, love to say that they are uh, of the faith and um, worshiping the Lord as much as I am right now, but it's not the case. Just keep them in prayer. Uh, you know, I have shared my faith openly, uh, enthusiastically uh, throughout the years. Uh, I actually just had an anniversary, believe it or not, uh, January 11th, with Mark 17 years. I gave myself, gave my life over to the Lord. Praise um, God for that, brother. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That deserves so, an applause. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Um, not many people remember a date. Um, I, I I know that you do, brother. And uh, <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm not downplaying it. I'm not saying that other people don't aren't saved because they don't remember a date. It's not what it's about. But I, uh, I can't forget. I can't forget. And I'll get to that in a moment. Well, um, you so know, as you well know, from the porch, I know date and time, generically time. I don't know the exact second of the moment, but I know around what time it was because of how radical and how important it was. But, uh, you know, go ahead. Let us know about yours. Yeah. Oh, man. Explosive. Explosive. Uh, so I almost can't wait to get to that point. But um, I should just give a little bit of a backstory. So as a as a child, um, you know, I I was always the person in school who was kind of uh, lacking in uh, in my my grades, um, I kind of, uh, I was always kind of the wanderer, so to speak. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I would kind of daydream. I was the daydreamer, you know, for the most part in school. So uh, I, I actually, you know, I, I grew up being learning disabled. At least they categorized me in that, in that regard, in that sense. Uh, specifically in my math skills, but um you know, there were some other areas too. Uh, you know, people look at me, they think I'm, you know, I'm smart. I'm listen, I'm I, I have a learning dis a disability, I'm learning disabled in certain areas. Um, now, is this Catholic school? Were you in Catholic school, or regular school? Well, I was in regular school, regular good public for, school. Good for you because math, I remember being in Catholic school, and uh, when you got something wrong, pain came with it. Yes, I've heard. So I've heard from my my both my in-laws. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you know, quick little story since we're just chatting. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, I had a, a teacher, Brother David, who wound up leaving with one of the nuns. They got married. But um, I'm a little hard of hearing. And he walked by and said nine times 11. And I didn't hear him. I honestly did not hear him. And I said, what? He said, outside. I said, I didn't hear you. He said, outside. So there's a line of us 
And of course I'm first for whatever reason. I don't know how that worked out. He had a, a wooden ruler, really long, really thick with a metal end on it. Said so bend over. And he cracked me and broke the end of it off on my butt. And I, through tears, I looked up at him and said, and I bet you want me to pick that up now too, don't you? I was, and he hit me again when my mother was at school the next day. No. Just told him, you do that again, um, I'm calling the cops. So that never happened again. But be thankful you are not in Catholic school. Corporal punishment when I was growing up was an everyday thing. Yeah. Oh man, I am I'm feeling even more blessed. <laughs> Thank you for helping me feel that way. There you brother, go. Because uh yeah, uh public school was not, you know, I mean it it don't you know it did, it did come with its uh punishment too. I mean, honestly, sure. there are point, points in which I was kind of, you know, the quiet type and the the one who got picked on too by some bullies. And as a matter of fact, I remember there was a point in which I, I just was sucker punched in the back of the head uh, in junior high by this uh, by this kid, Louis Iorio, Louis Iorio. Never forget the name, right? Hit me, boom! Sucker punched right in the head. All my books go flying. My backpack was flying. I'm, you know, uh, talking with uh, my classmate, and he said, uh, "I didn't even know what happened, but I knew who did it when I, I got up." And I was not the fighter type, right? So uh, I just kind of looked at him in disbelief. Like, why did you do that? And, and you know, uh, a classmate, my friend said, you know, why did why did he do that to you? And uh, I just remember distinctly saying, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And some things you just can't explain. Uh, and um, I think that was one of the things that when growing up, I realized, okay, there's there's definitely something to uh evil or at least something dealing with people who don't think along the same lines as as myself and uh, haven't been brought up the same way maybe but i was always the one to try to really try to figure things out even people you know i'm surprised i didn't get into a an area of psychology and <laughs> degree but that's not where i that's not where i went i had always been involved or interested in filmmaking mm -hmm. And uh, just growing up, even little, I, I really, really enjoyed, uh, you know, um, films. I mean, I, I remember seeing, um, well, Jurassic Park is, you know, that's 93. So I was still, you know, still relatively young. But uh, I think I've always enjoyed the camera, looking at, you know, seeing how pictures are, are formed. Anybody who remembers what Kodak cameras are, Kodak uh, film prints, um, you know, those are really a thing of the past right now, but uh, I was always interested in the technological side of things, always interested in how things work, and uh, the cameras just fascinated me. So that was one of the things. So when I when I got out of uh, high school, um, I really, really wanted to partake in a film production course. Um, I wanted to get into film school. I was researching film schools, and I was also blessed to have in high school a thing called BOCES. Uh, and BOCES Technical Center in Belport offered a two-year certificate in television production while I was in high school. So I would do half the, half the day in high school and the rest of the day in uh, at the BOCES Technical Center. So uh, I had two excellent teachers. Uh, 
I was one of the top of the class every year. A lot of people just went there for extra credits or whatnot, but I was there um, all in. I was all in on that. So I had to bring that up because that's what helped helped me get a, a half a scholarship at the New York Institute of Technology. And uh, when I was at New York Inst NYIT, they had a great film program, but it wasn't good enough for me. Uh, it started off all theory. They told me we're going to probably be doing this for the next couple of years until you really start getting hands on on, your, on the equipment. So that's where I said, um, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to move on to uh, look into School of Visual Arts. School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. It looked like it was a pro perfect program for me. And that's what I went with. So um, I did get into School of Visual Arts. Uh, I did lose a full semester of credits. And you know what? It was okay by me. It's all right. I graduated in 2001. That was fine. Now you train, um, so, are you taking the train in every day to get to? No, school? I was living, I was living in Manhattan. I was on uh, Lex, 23rd and Lex at George Washington. Hmm. And uh, it was, it was amazing back then. It was, it was amazing. But, but honestly, there was a number of different things, even when, before I was saved that I can look back now and say, well, I wouldn't do half those things that, it, you know, that I did back then. But, um, you know, during that period, I mean, I learned so much. There were professors who were actually working in the field. Um, one of them, uh, you know, a director of photography, actually part of the American Society of Cinematographers, Sol Negrin, who, uh, who had done a lot of, I think, uh, second unit work for the most part, but he was on Jaws and, uh, you know, he did some other other work with um with gene hackman and uh and he really he really was a great professor he was one of the best uh out there he's uh no longer with us but um some great great teachers there uh and i i really i really respect the program but there were a lot of individualistic people there and again this was a point in which i was not yet you know fully uh saved i was not saved yet i really didn't even uh know the lord i grew up as catholic roman catholic and my dad actually uh both of them both my mother and father were both devout roman catholics um so as a roman catholic he was very involved with the church and uh he uh, was actually going to become a deacon at one point and that's that's how i'm just letting you know how involved he was so um, just kind of getting you, giving you a background before I, uh, I get to know the Lord here. And But um, back in my childhood uh, days, it wasn't just about film. It wasn't just about, the interest wasn't just about filmmaking. It was also, you know, wanting to know a little bit more about how the world works and this thing called spiritual spirituality. So I had, uh, growing up, I had um, experienced some interesting things in my life, which I couldn't explain, but I, it kind of brought me into the area of the paranormal and researching the paranormal and also reading books on the occult. And yeah, so we, we have that in common. How much of that, how much of that had to do with being adopted? How much of that had to do with the uncertainty of who you were or all the emotions that go with that? So Have you thought I about think, that? I think deep down, subconsciously, spiritually, it probably had a lot to do 
with uh, being adopted. Uh, although I kind of at the surface felt comfortable where I was and felt blessed where I was, there was no real act of rebellion, so to speak, involved in that area with me. It wasn't, it was more of experimental. It was more of, of the wonder and more of trying to figure out who I was, defining myself as a person and, and you know, where the spirituality thing comes into play. How old so, are you at that point? How, how old are you when you start to dabble? I was about 12. Yeah, 12 or 13. Actually. So we're the same. We were the same. So 12 to 13. And uh, I remember distinctly at 13, I had this, uh, I want to call out-of-body experience, but it was a dream. But it was just so vivid and so different from any dream that I ever had. And I remember I was sick. I was ill at the time. And I, you know, it may have just had, may have had the flu. But I remember sitting up in my bed and seeing in front of me the wall just open up into this huge black uh, spiral vortex of nothingness, of, of absolute blackness. Uh, you know, really, really dark stuff. And I, I re remember it lasting for quite some time. It felt like it forever, but it just kept enveloping. It just kept open, sucking the entire room in. And I just remember being so, so scared. Um, I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, but nothing was coming out. Um, so I was hoping someone would run to my aid at that point. But then, then it stopped. So something stopped it. Something stopped that that dream but i felt like my soul was actually going to be sucked into this black void uh very scary stuff and i'll never forget that never um now do you you said that you, you felt like it was a dream are you sure yeah at this point in my life in my walk i don't think it really was a dream I yeah think i don't think so either have, considering i think it was my spirit. considering what i know yeah something something triggered it Mm -hmm. and i you know it could have been a dream i'm not saying it wasn't i'm just saying there's a possibility that it was oh, come on we bring the occult into it we bring uh you know into the paranormal and you know all of a sudden i'm getting sucked into this black uh, vortex and of course at this point you don't really know much about your background your ancestry so you don't have see i knew where mine even at that age was coming from you don't have any clue about any of that. I not nothing. I mean, a very, very small, uh, very minute uh, amount of information. Um, you know, there's some things that I, you know, I'm going to keep to myself about. But the point, the point being that, you know, the fact that I, I was adopted, I'm still trying to define who I am. Uh, I still felt comfortable with where I was and blessed where I was. I mean, you know, talking about, you know, uh, a house, three-story house, you know, my parents bought at a very cheap price, uh, at least a very good price that they- In a very me. nice part of Long Island. I In remember, a very nice yeah, part of Long Island. You know, going to St. John's, all the partying happened on Long Island. So, yeah, I know, I know the area. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, they did pretty, they did- they did well as as uh, teachers, and so, uh, 
you know, it was a very interesting house, uh, very mistake. And there were so many different areas of it, too, that I mean, it was built back in the early 1900s. So my brother, I remember always going with my brother to look upstairs in the attic, find out what we can find. And we're finding all these little tin cans, the tobacco cans and little uh, uh, ink containers, the old quill pen ink uh ink wow. jars and yeah, just just found all this kind of stuff i mean so it was really fascinating um and uh we were all very close growing up uh but you know i don't want to get too much into my brother but he got into some things too that were very dark we'll put it that way and uh i never and got into not the to interrupt Bible. but knowing what we do i'd be curious to research the lamp and the area because i know oh. it's a lot of native american stuff out there in fact, it's predominantly Native mm -hmm. American out there. Uh, a lot of a lot of bloodshed, a lot of uh, a lot of witchcraft. So that'd be I'd be curious. Yeah, uh, my brother got into uh, reading the Satanic Bible at one point. Mm. I don't know how heavily. It wasn't really heavy, but I mean, I never really I never got into that aspect of it. I did read, uh, you know there was like the occult encyclopedia uh there were some things that i uh, trinkets and stuff that i i purchased i got into uh i want to say i well, i got into voodoo a little bit um not heavily but i mean it's enough to allow for unclean spirits to come in I, that that i i can know i know now um my brother and sister were also very much into the ouija board we got into that stuff at one point uh, to the point where they were actually able to use it on their own. Um, I don't know that many people even realize that you could do that, but they were able to do it. I wasn't. I couldn't figure it out why. But usually when you do Ouija board, you have at least one other person with you. And I always thought they were pulling my chain, but they weren't. They weren't. They were very young at that age. But um that was that was even prior to uh, my research into the occult. So that was when ask, we were really. I got to ask you this question now: Why voodoo? Because when I heard your testimony, I wrote that down. Why? Because that's unusual, but unless it has something to do with your blood lineage. So I think you know it could it could have something to do with my blood lineage. Uh, I think there was more so. Uh, I mean, for me, anyway, on the surface, it was just about experimenting. Mm. What what can these things actually do? These trinkets uh, and talismans actually do. And um, I think one of those things, one of those things I was looking for was was love. You know, so it happened to be a love talisman. And uh, can I say it actually worked? Um, no, I don't think it did. But um, you know, then that that puts something on me and says, oh, it must be something I'm doing wrong. So then uh, I kind of I mean, I remember there was a point and this is a little embarrassing, but uh, I'm willing to share. it. Uh, there was also this thing about King Solomon's powder. It's this pink powder. <laughs> and I can't even remember at this point what what it was meant for. But I remember putting this stuff all over my body. <laughs> just putting it all over myself saying you know oh it's going to give me power <laughs> and uh can, can i even say that it did anything no i i honestly can't 
but I think there was something there, and there's a there's a point to this of these of me not being able to do the Ouija board alone. Uh, the effects were supposed to be these effects that are supposed to happen when wearing these talismans or putting the powder on your body. Are you doing this by yourself in a room? Yeah, keeping it from everybody. Yes. You... Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, there was only one time. There was one time where my mother passed by. <laughs> Where she um, she was Lutheran and she converted to Catholicism, and she caught me with uh, doing something. I, I may have been chanting something or doing something in in, in the bedroom that was uh, a little bizarre. And she said, "Gregory, you're not doing anything that the Lord wouldn't want you to do." Are you? I said, "No, no, no, not at all, no. not at all. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Boom." <laughs> We shouldn't laugh, but it is funny because I remember what that's like. So, um, yeah, so that was my experimental stage around that area. Um, at age 14, uh, I I wasn't very much into UFOs until my dad actually showed me a newspaper clipping, an article of a local uh, paper from a local paper called the Long Island Advance of these men who were investigating this, an alleged UFO crash about seven miles from where I grew up. Um, it happened in a place called South Haven Park. Um, he showed it to me and I said, oh, that's, that's interesting, that's weird. I didn't think much of it back then, but uh, it really, there was something that happened after college that that led me to wanting to investigate that a little bit more because when I was in college, we're going back to college. Now I met up with a friend who was in my editing class and his brother had a very interesting story to tell. He said uh, he had been with his friend in the Patchogue area on Long Island uh, back in the eighties. And he had witnessed this huge triangular craft, um, over his head that uh, over their heads at one point which they could not explain but they they found themselves bathed in this white light at one point and and were missing time and uh i said well i gotta meet this guy <laughs> so um we got to be friends i got to know his brother very well and we would go camping together we'd go up to uh phoenicia in upstate new york near the kingston area upstate New York. And uh, we would do that numerous times. And anytime we would just be chilling, we'd just hang out. And I say, I say, listen, Dan, you, tell me the truth here. Did you really, did you really experience this stuff? You know, every time, every time he would tell me, Greg, that's, you know, that, that I don't know what I saw, but I know I saw it. I know we both experienced it. And this thing was real. I said, okay. So, Lo and behold, I get done with film school. I graduate in 2001. I, I'm fresh out of film school. I say, okay, I want to I want to do something. I want to do some kind of project. I did a number of thesis projects. I was a cinematography major, so I did other people's projects, but I wanted to do my own project. I said, what am I going to do this project on? So the first, first thought in my head was going back to when my father showed me that article, that newspaper clipping of these people canvassing the park 
that was shut down for about three days, which never shuts down, by the way. And uh, I said, I want to find out more about this. So I just started gathering information. I, I started researching it a little bit more, went to you know Google search on it. And there you go. I, I found a number of people, eyewitnesses of the park, people who were involved with the incident I wanted to speak to. So I, I just collected a pile, a whole list of, of names that I went down the list. I spoke to some of the original founders of this network called the Long Island UFO Network. Uh, I was still very much interest, interested in this stuff. So this is one of the reasons why I pursued it. And so I said, um, I'm going to just start recording them. I'm going to say, I, I didn't have a script. I didn't have any type of outline. I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to use my camera and I'm going to book the interviews and just see where this goes. You know, this is all new to me. I listened to your testimony and all the times we've talked, the times we've spent together, this is all new. There's so much to it. There's, there's other layers of my testimony too, brother. We could be here for hours, but I, I got to get to the main point because right. The main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing. But um, so I ended up booking a number of interviews. I spoke to a couple of psychics that were involved with that, um, with with the, um, who actually said they 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 have seen these supposed UFO craft. Uh, one psychic actually said she had an implant in her arm, which she allowed me to actually kind of feel the area where it was. There was definitely something in there. I mean, what it was, I couldn't explain to you. But she she said it was an implant, implantation device of some sort. Um, interesting interview. Uh, I got a lot out of her, and then I started interviewing some of the um, some of the people involved with canvassing South Haven Park, and I got a lot of information out of them too. I mean, it was interesting stuff. So I just started putting all this all these mini DV tapes. If anybody remembers what that. Mini DV tapes on the shelf, marking everything down, labeling them, getting ready for something to uh, to compile together. I knew there was going to come up with something at some point. And then there was this man by the name of Richard Stout, who's from Cinema Ridges, who uh, I actually got the name from the person who was the lead of this UFO network, who was thrown into... Uh, into a penitentiary or a psychiatric ward, rather, psychiatric ward, Pilgrim State and upstate, yeah, upstate New York. And Pilgrim, I went to visit this man. All the stuff, I, I was not allowed to bring any spiral notebooks in, no metal, nothing very interesting. Now, what year point. is this? This is 2005. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, a little bit out of, out of film school, but, you know, not so much where I was like, you know, um, but I, I, I remember distinctly visiting this, this man and uh, the, his name was John Ford. The man was actually accused of putting radioactive material in one of the local politicians toothpaste at the time. Okay. Uh, apparently he was caught with, um, yeah, very strange. So, uh, he his network grew to the point where I mean you he could have gone full time with this. Uh, he was just investigating different people, different uh, 
incidents around Long Island, uh, you know, abduction cases, this and that. So uh, basically he was in the Pilgrim State Psychiatric Ward because uh, he pleaded insanity instead of, you know, for instead of getting 25 years in prison. So um, I got to speak to him for a short period of time. He seemed like he was very eager to get out there and go right back to doing what he was doing. And uh, the the name Richard Stout came to came to his mind. And I said, OK, he said, speak to Richard Stout. I said, all right. And so I, I took off. I wasn't able to get any footage from him. I was only able to, you know, speak to him there. And when I went to uh, Richard's house, that's where everything kind of changed. There was a huge shift in, in everything in my whole life. And when I met Richard, I said, uh, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Greg. I'm doing this documentary on this alleged UFO crash that happened back in 1992, in November of 92. He said, oh, OK. I said, come on in. <laughs> And he was very, very welcoming. Um, he sat me down and he told me that he was the co-founder of this Long Island UFO network. And he said he got out of it as soon as he got in, pretty much. And here's the, he said, here's the reason why. Because most of it deals with evil and most of it deals with Satan. And I said, oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, please elaborate. Uh, so... At first, I just thought, okay, well, the guy's turning to religion for his problems because he had mentioned seeing these so supposed alien greys, these reptilian beings, uh, these things, wavy lines going through the through the phone poles, through the uh, telephone wire, and uh, huge balls of light out in the field, open field, helicopters, you know, black helicopters going around. Rich's Bay all these times and even a UFO over his house. So I, I said, okay, go ahead, elaborate. <laughs> so he did. And you know what he did? He led me to the word. He led me to God's word. He said, so he I'm going to show you. He mm -hmm. knew that what that was was demonic. Correct? He did. He absolutely did. Now, I took this at, at that point as a, a very objective level very objective scale so i wasn't going one way or the other um i was still searching still seeking investigating you know but i always found myself going back to his house and i was living in queens at the time so heading from queens to uh manhattan i'm sorry it's queens to center riches uh That's you know a it, was, it was a hike you know uh so you know talking about you know, close to two hours. Uh, well, maybe a little less, about an hour and a half or so. So I, I found myself, I was freelancing as an audiovisual, corporate audiovisual technician at the time. So I, I was able to do this. Um, I wasn't working full time. But I uh, I had I had spoken to him and recorded him. I, I used, uh, I, I recorded him both on video, uh, on audio, and I was just fascinated. I was blown away by this gift that he was given. Okay. He, he told me he could show me in scripture 
and the breakdown through keywords that this UFO phenomenon that people are talking about all over the world, you know, millions of people are seeing this, these things can be found in scripture through keyword research. And so he just, he went, he went down the line. He, he, he actually had a uh, disability. His hand was actually uh, affected by a compactor um, when he was working for the uh, DOT and uh, he could barely move his hand. But somehow, miraculously, he was able to write and jot all these notes in the keyword research he was doing, um, which was astounding because there were numbers, a number of areas that he went into that, um, for instance, in the Greek and Hebrew, um, most people will say wandering stars are talking about just about planets, but he, he would go into the Greek talking about wandering to wander mean actually goes to the Greek means deceit or deceitful. And the stars were actually symbolic of angels. And you put the two together and you have deceitful angels. Mm. And this is the, this is just a, a tidbit of, of the information that, you know, that was coming to him. And I found that absolutely fascinating. And so it was just a snowball effect. And I said, Richard, we, we got to get this stuff out there. This is very interesting. Um, it was only until 2006 where I really, after meeting Richard numerous times on this topic, he was connecting dots so much so that I, I was absolutely convinced what he was telling me was the truth. And it was all coming from, from scripture in which even as a Roman Catholic, I was not introduced to half of those things in scripture. I was always introduced to someone else's either ideology or book on what scripture is saying, not actually going to the word itself. So I was, I felt something was stirring in my spirit at this point. Something was stirring. I said, this is, this is too much. I can't, I can't believe it. And it was when he mentioned that all of the stuff that he experienced to the point where he was almost about to commit suicide, and had tremendous headaches that he had, you know, he had been popping pills to just try to alleviate the pain. He said, there was a one point where he broke and he said, dear Heavenly Father, what do I have to do to have your true son come into my heart? And he said it was that point he felt this weight just lift up out of him. He didn't see anything, but he just felt like a weight just lift off of him. And he'd never experienced one more of those things uh, ever again. Um, any of those things with seeing those grays, uh, craft, the reptilian beings, all this. I said, wait, what? You've been telling me that you didn't turn to psychologists or psychiatrists for your, your problems. You didn't turn to, um, you know, uh, meditation. All you did was call upon Jesus Christ to come into your heart. He said, yeah, that was it. And uh, I won't, he said, I remember just distinctly saying, I really want you to believe this. I really want you to believe because this is the truth. And um, I mean, I just, there was a point where I said, I, this is just, it, the co connecting of dots is just too much. What's happening not to inside of you at that moment? What's, what's going on inside of you? Are you responding to this? I'm absolutely responding to it. And because of 
how much he's showing me and his keyword research, which I found absolutely unique, was something to the point, uh, to the extent of of making me actually believe that what he was telling me is the absolute truth of the matter and is uh, the uncovering of this, this UFO phenomenon. Being evil, coming from a spiritual interdimensional um, being. And I, I just remember distinctly in my queen's apartment in January 11th of 2006, just saying, I, I believe, Lord, I, I absolutely believe. And I understood the point of when he was referring to Ephesians 6 and talking about how, uh, you know, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but principalities and evil powers and, uh, and rulers in the darkness and the heavenly realms, that we were at war. And, for, and this was a battle for souls here. And I just remember saying, oh, I'd give everything to you, Lord. I'd give everything. And uh, I, I remember distinctly putting on putting on music. I said, you know, what's a good battle theme song or something, soundtrack? And I remember listening to Duel of the Fates. It was uh, something from uh, John Williams' score uh, soundtrack from uh, episode one of, of uh, Star Wars. And um, and I said, yeah, this this is it. I remember just thinking, like in my head, all those like this battle and raging going on, and the score. And I just remember just falling down to my knees and feeling this love just pour out down all over me, inside me, and my heart's racing and tears just streaming down my face, saying, oh my gosh, and uh, just getting this this immense amount of love that I never. I never felt before that no family member could ever give me. Um, it was just a different type of love that I never felt, but I knew it was love. Uh, this was this was this was Jesus. This was the love of the Heavenly Father coming shooting through me. I mean, I just I took the headphones off. I just started. I remember just go walking outside with tears in my face, just not caring about anything else. Like if if anybody even came up to me and tried to, you know. Uh, try to, you know, stab me, let's say, you know, in the heart, I wouldn't feel it. I felt like I was floating. <laughs> That's literally how much I was just like, and I became so vocal since then. I said, and I remember calling Rich, I said, Rich, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> because he explained to me that he, he had the same experience about 15 years prior. I said, Rich, I know what you're talking about now, Rich. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You know, it's amazing to me, brother, as I listen to this. This is 2006. You were being groomed and set up for SRT. And I didn't ask you to come with us to Kansas because I knew this. Mm -hmm. All I asked you to come, the Lord said to ask you to, you know, to hire you to come do the camera stuff. He had already groomed you and, and, and selected you. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And uh, I... When you look back, you can you can tell how the Lord works in each one of our lives, and uh, His timeline is is just fascinating fascinating to review. I mean, I love reviewing His timeline. I say, "Wow, mm -hmm. you brought me here! Wow, you opened this job role open for me! Wow, you allowed me to start this documentary just so I could understand who you really are." <laughs> so it really is amazing. 
and uh there's nothing like it there's absolutely nothing like it uh so um richard was was fast you know he was just i mean ecstatic i mean he was just really happy for me and um uh, i i just remember i remember first trying the bible track reading the back of a bible track saying okay is this how i become saved all right and and, but there was like nothing to that really there was it was just kind of it was kind of just a a dead thing and a religion it became religious at that point and i said all right now i'm really gonna really going to uh give all my my all in all to you because you are my all and And you're coming at this from a roman catholic this is a completely different this isn't something you've seen or experienced or had somebody tell you which means you're, you're coming at it from a pure perspective but you've also set off a chain of events at home that's right and i became very vocal at that point as you can imagine yes uh so uh my parents didn't did not take it very well uh especially my dad being a devout roman catholic and about to become a deacon in the church so um i uh i mean i just i remember almost like this flood of information come in about scripture that i even i myself was uh, amazed by how much I was able to recite scripture and know what parts really, you know, what parts were where for, for specific reasons. And I would, I would tell my parents, this, and I remember my dad saying that, are, are you surprised by how much you actually know about this? Because even uh, back when I was doing, uh, you know, uh, CCD, I mean, I, I was at the point where I really didn't get it at all. And I was, I even found myself being left back. Now, didn't that uh, say something to them? (laughs) I mean, I get it. They were offended. My, you know, my family, my mother, especially died in the wool, you know, Roman Catholic and me being me, as you know, I can be very subtle sometimes, but I remember she uh, saying something about Mary, the worship of Mary. And I just simply said, I've said, if she was so important, how come we don't hear about her again after the second chapter of Acts? She kind of looked at me. I said, if she was that important, the Apostle John, who was given responsibility for her, would have said something. And I said, she was important because she had Jesus, Yeshua. But she's dead. Her body rotted, right. her bones, that was it. Explosion. Ooh. You know, and it was just, I, but you get filled with the truth. And I'm sorry if anybody's listening and gets offended. As my brother said, when you get the spirit in you, you suddenly see the truth. And I, and I remember telling other Catholics my story. Well, why aren't you Roman Catholic anymore? Well, first of all, I read the Bible. And I realized what I thought in school was true. They were making it up as they went along. But the other side of the story is I realized that I'd been lied to. So I get where you're coming from. This burst of supernatural information has just flooded you. Your eyes are open. Your spirit's open. But you're now you're in a very volatile situation. I uh, yeah, I was not only adopted on a in, a in a physical sense, but now I was adopted into kingship on a spiritual sense, Amen. and that, that just became. I mean, a tremendous, tremendous thing for me. I remember my mother even saying, who do you think you are? 
And I mean, it was just even to the point where it was like, it just, it was this burst of like, um, it was almost like it wasn't even her, which, at the, you know, I, I don't believe it was. It, mm-hmm. There were some parts to that also that could be uh, demonic, but um, yeah, I mean, people do not respond to that very well, especially uh, if you have a religion, you're in a religious household. Well, it's a religious spirit. Let's call it and what it's a it religious, is. That's it's right. a religious spirit that when it rears its head, it shows itself. And it doesn't like to be challenged and it doesn't like information that it can't refute. Yeah. Yes. And it's, uh, it, it's tough to get out of that unless only the Lord can break that. Amen. I mean, through prayer, it, it can happen though. It can definitely happen. So lo and behold, I became a born again, spirit filled believer in Jesus Christ. And I had a documentary that I wasn't going to complete. <laughs> because now my whole viewpoint has changed uh so so now there's that okay what happens to the documentary and i i can't remember talking i don't remember exactly how rich described it but you, you he i do remember him saying you have to you have to do what you think is right and i said i have to i have to abandon the project i have to stop the project and I don't know how these people are going to respond to it. He said, don't worry about that. I just remember writing a long letter. It may have just been an email. I think it was just a long email to each of the people I interviewed. And I was just, I was just honest. I said, listen, I mean, I was, I told them where I was with before the documentary and where I am now. Uh, I told them, I hope they don't take it as a religious aspect because I did I did preach the gospel uh, through that message, but um, I just asked, I hope some of you, I hope you respected my decision on this, but at this point I can no longer go along with this. And one of the scriptures, you know, that I can think of or verses that Richard had led me to was Ephesians 5.11. Um, you know, have nothing to do fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. And I said, yeah, I mean, how can, how can I keep going on with this? If, if this is a deed of darkness, how, how can I knowingly know what I know now and continue on the same route with this documentary? What would have been great is if, you know, if they were all okay with my new position on, on the topic, but that just wasn't, wasn't going to be the case. So some of them, some of the people I interviewed respected it, and some didn't. Um, they were disappointed. You know what? I realized at that point that God had me for that reason, put me in that spot for that reason, to bring me to the Lord, to bring me to understanding who he is, who he truly is. And uh, Richard Stout was, you know, the one who brought, led me to to the Lord uh, through the word. So, uh, so that's where we, we kind of, we kind of had this collaboration, this collaborative uh, effort to get this word out with, uh, with the uh, information that he was documenting. And one of those people that, uh, that I did interview was a gentleman from New Jersey by the name of Brian Levins, who uh, went under the pen name Byron LeBeau. Oh, that's Um, how you met him. Okay. And, uh, 
Brian Levins was someone who uh, read over 500 books on the topic of ufology. Um, he was very knowledgeable in the subject. Uh, he was one of the people who was actually on uh, one of the, uh, I think, News 5, whatever, Fox 5, or one of the major broadcast, news broadcast stations. And and he he was very vocal. He was the kind of person to really get this stuff out, a PR-type person. And so um, I introduced him to Richard. I said, Brian, you have to read Richard's notes. You have all this knowledge, all this information on uh, ufology. Take a look at this. So I sent him all his notes. Went down to visit him a few times, and he just, I mean, he was floored. He said, all this information just adds up with all of this the, this research he's been doing. He was absolutely floored with all the keyword research and scripture. Richard's notes, combining his uh, uh, Byron's literary skills, we came up, he came up with a treatise called The Bite of the Serpent Series. And I had dabbled with uh, web design. Um, I built a website for them called Revelation VII, Revelation 7, um, which held all of his information. So, I mean, back then it was revelationvii.com. Now it's revelationvii.net. Lost the domain name. Somebody takes it, uses it for new age purposes. Go figure. So, but the the point is that um, I helped them get that word, that information. Where out. is so this? I don't mean to interrupt you. Where is all this information now? Where's all the footage now? So the footage is still on mini TV. It's just kind of sitting um, on my shelf. And uh, that's how you met Byron. Okay. I wondered that because just so that everybody knows, Greg and I met, I got invited on a podcast that you guys had. I don't remember how that occurred. First then, of that breakthrough radio. Right. And then turned out that Byron and I both went to St. John's same areas same backgrounds he and i hit it off and became very friendly before he unfortunately passed away um 2011 yeah yeah so um that's how we met that's how we connected through byron and through your journey to the point that the lord was grooming you and setting you up for what was to come that's right yep it, it was incredible uh we both uh, key players in my life there and in, in this whole uh, what happened whole to the other walk. guy richard stout is that it? richard passed uh he had a heart condition he passed also back in i think it was just a year later at 2012 wow. 2012 he, he passed yeah uh that was a sad sad day for me i mean there was it was i was so emotional about it because uh for obvious reasons you know i mean oh he was mentor player he was discipling you in a way and now that's gone. It's gone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was very difficult for me. Uh, of course, with with Byron too. Yeah, uh, it, it was like, now what, right? And and Byron, I was thinking about that today. He died of mouth cancer or something. Yes. Mm -hmm. Started. Yep. Well, what a horrible way for the enemy to take his voice. And right. I'm not sure, you know, how all that came about, but I remember thinking thinking that what a way to go right what a what a horrible way to go that's why they call this warfare it is spiritual warfare and sometimes stuff happens so there you are you're born again you're you're immersed in this um are you married at this point yet 
So yes, I was married in 2004. Okay. Um, so yeah, amazing how, you know, the, all these turn of events and, and uh, you know, I don't mention that, but it is very interesting to note that uh, during this period, uh, when I came to the Lord, uh, two years after I was married, my wife thought I was absolutely insane. That's what I was getting to. I was wondering that you guys are living in an apartment where in Queens, Forest Hills? Yes, Forest Hills, Queens. Yeah. Um, Which I know very and, well, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice, very nice location. Um, actually, my father-in-law does uh, specialty tiled roofing in the area. So, mm. uh, but yeah, we are, we're living in the, in Queens and that's, that was something where I was just, she was, she wanted me checked. I mean, that's now, how let, let, much let she... the audience know that <laughs> spirit filled Christians in Forest Hills, Queens are not normal. You don't find a lot of them. You <laughs> no. will find them, but you won't find a lot of them. What you will find is a lot of Catholics, a lot of Jews. It's a very popular Jewish area, um, but not spirit-filled Christians. No, you won't. Uh, so my wife didn't handle it very well either. So um, she uh, has been gracious to me as she she has come along the ride. But, you know, I don't want to call it a ride, but along the journey, the walk with me. Uh, no, it's a ride. It's a it's roller coaster. A, it's, it's a ride. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it's it's really it's really amazing to think that we're still together because there has been so much uh, in between this this period of time in which uh, I really had to come to terms with understanding where she was with her faith. And where I was with my faith, and that took um, that took fellowship. It took a little bit of learning and a little bit of of putting down my pride in the area. Um, so being so vocal as I was, I mean, it, she was scared. I mean, a little bit of it scared her, and for good reasons. But um, there was there was some felt there was a fellowship involved there so i found myself going to multiple churches actually i started in a small little church in uh, riverhead new york and it's on the east end of long island and i i just you know i was like yeah i really uh i'm fine with whatever you want to do uh, there was a lot of tension between us at that point because i had such a an explosive uh explosive testimony and and uh amazing experience i mean i call it getting it's radically saved and radically he, saved. yeah i remember uh carmen the guy who wrote the song radically saved he and i were friends for a long time before he passed i remember sharing that with him and he goes you know when i made that term he said i hear you use it it wasn't what i meant but i get it now he said you're right you're radically yeah. saved you're different yeah. you're completely different this isn't yeah. churchy you know, I'm going to sit in a pew and take communion and get my ticket to heaven. No, no, no. This is, I'm going to do something with it. There's a fire in my bones. Yeah. It was just a, it was an interesting time, but I found myself going to a church in Riverhead, New York. Um, this little, this little uh, rinky-dink place. This little place in a corner of a, of a, a market uh, or plaza rather. And, it was small. It was Pentecostal. Uh, 
And I remember these, them welcoming us with open arms, but my wife pretty much thought it was a cult. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel that way. I felt like I was at home, uh, but it was the first place that I found myself. I landed myself in that I could fellowship with people who were like-minded to myself. That place uh, didn't last long. Uh, it was mainly due to financial um, turmoil. I think, uh, you know, they were not doing well financially. So they, um, they kind of all went back to their homes, kept in touch with a lot of them, but they never came back to together in a, uh, in a four, four wall place in a, in a building. Um, so I just, I just said, well, maybe there's someplace else the Lord wants me to go. So I found myself going to another church that was uh, another Pentecostal church and it, and it worked for a little bit. Um, I met up with a gentleman who was telling me, you know, uh, you, you should, uh, you should really, really just think about your wife also and, and um, think about where she is with you because I think you may be putting a little too much pressure on her. And I said, um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. And uh, I remember him leading me to this book called Discovering the Mind of a Woman. Um, I forget the, the author. How many volumes was that? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, Send the your author... letters to... <laughs> The author is Ken Nair. I remember the author, the Ken Ken Nair. Uh, he actually introduced it to the whole, to all the brethren, to you know, to all the brothers. Um, I I think he told me I was the only one to read it. <laughs> Gee, I, but I wonder why. But anyway, good. But I have to be honest with you that she, my wife, uh, says that really helped save her marriage. Hmm. That book and. Um, I really, I really have to say, well, obviously it's all the Lord's doing, but I did read it and there, she did notice a change in me after that. There's some things, parts of it I, I agree with. There's some of the parts that I, I didn't agree with, but that's, we'll leave that for another discussion. Um, the point is I read the book. I fellowship with this gentleman. He led me to something to realize where I was with my relationship with Christ and where I was with my relationship with my wife. Absolutely. And I'm not, and, I'm not diminishing or making light of that. That's really oh, important. No. Absolutely. You know, I Absolutely. was lucky that my wife was a pastor's kid of church of God, spirit filled, not what I do. And then, you know, had she not experienced a lot of the visitations of demons and angels and things like that, it, and knowing my testimony, it might have been a lot more difficult for her, but I get it. I get it. It's, it's, a, it's a dramatic shift in the reality of not just life, but your relationship. Yes, the relationship with my wife, as, uh, as the Lord puts it in, in the word, you know, that we are to love our wives as Jesus loves the church. And I think there's this misconception and the enemy likes to put in our minds there's more of a submissive and dominant dominance type relationship that should be going on where that's no, it's not a the, coexistence. That's not, it's a, it's not the case. It's a symbiote. It's a, you know, the two become one. Therefore, you know, you have to go with the flow if so to speak, and 
with one another. And there are times you have to tone things down. You know, like I said, for me, um, my wife knew what I did, but didn't really understand it until one day, you know, we were counseling a young girl from the youth group because we were doing the youth group at that time. And she manifested and went into a full-blown deliverance. I mean, voices, the whole bit. And my wife looking at me going, what do I do? I just said, just sit there and pray. So she got really quiet and watched. And she got the reality of watching, you know, a demon speak through somebody and then getting cast out. And that happened more than once. We had it happen with a couple of different youth that came to our house for innocuous things, you know, that suddenly went into deliverances. So mm -hmm. with, without having seen it, she would not have understood. Yeah, amen. And uh, that's where I think this is a good segue into my next phase of understanding and learning. In 2007, uh, I was very much into spiritual warfare. I wanted to learn a little bit more about this area of, of the uh, spiritual warfare. So I, uh, I had been introduced to this uh, pastor down in Leesburg, Florida, by the name of Pastor Chris Ward. And he had uh, an excellent book that I had read, um, Case Files of an Internet Exorcist, which just blew me away by the supernatural um, experiences that were happening down in Leesburg, um, but specifically in his ministry and uh, combating the enemy, um, you know, wholeheartedly with even... Uh, witchcraft and all that going against him and his uh, his fellowship so i went down to visit him i said shannon i really need to do this and she respected that and i i went down to visit for a couple of days we had uh you know spiritual warfare class um and i i learned quite a bit from that uh, now what year was that what year was that 2007 okay so um so i just visited for a couple of days uh very nice uh he is no longer with us either he has gone on to be with the lord um i think as of maybe three uh, maybe four years ago but um yeah i learned quite a bit there and and uh that's where i kind of was starting to i was continuing to grow i had gone into other churches um and i felt the lord was bringing me to various denominations for a reason i couldn't figure it out why but it really, it really started to, I really started to take shape my my growth, um, back uh, after the whole cursed net breakthrough radio um, ended, because I said to myself, well, what am I going to do now? Because after 2012 uh, and 13, I said, well, do I continue on with this ministry? I had to pray about this, and I, I just remember not being inspired to continue on the same path as I was with the two gentlemen, the brothers in Christ who I had this camaraderie with, uh, fellowship with, but but to just put it to rest for now, keep the internet, the uh, websites going active, and anybody who has questions coming in through email, I would answer them. And that's what I, th that's what I did. I always had this, I, you know, this feeling or understanding that the Lord would have something else to come that would come up at some point in the future. And that's where uh, Shannon and I actually, in that period of time, we had our twin boys, uh, Matthew and Joshua. Um, 
they were born in 2013 and um, uh, we were trying over nine and a half years to have children. So it was, you know, it was quite something, an amazing, amazing thing. Um, blessed to have uh, twin boys. And I, I think, you know, it's just kind of like this, this symbolism of, of, you know, of this understanding of birth and um, two, you know, having, having two, uh, being able to name them in a way that I had to ask the Lord, you know, we knew we were going to have a Matthew, but I didn't know who, what to name the other, the other son. And I remember distinctly having this uh, impression uh, about Joshua. Mm. Uh, Josh came to mind. And I just, you know, after uh, fasting, I remember that came to, to mind and it was just so clear in my head as to what to name him. And um, that was it. It came out to be Matthew and Joshua. And uh, so they're, they're nine now, you know, uh, just to give you an idea of uh, how much time goes by so quickly. But um, it was, wasn't until the pandemic of, of 2020 that um, I came up with an idea while well, we're all kind of huddled in our homes, you know, on the Internet reading, you know, inner word that I would come up with something that we could all as, as believers come to and fellowship kind of like doing this Bible study. And that's where I came up with the, the name uptime uptime just came into my head because we understand as, as believers and in under the eschatology and theology of the rapture and the belief of the great catching away of the saints that, with all the prophetic convergence happening that we see before our very eyes today, that it would be significant to have that type of that name uptime and bring together a group of, of believers to just go into God's word, deep into God's word, talk about the prophetic events that are happening that we do believe have something to do with the end times that have to do with, um, uh, with, the times of the end to the times of, of him coming back for his church. And we, we do this now Tuesday on Tuesday nights. Um, we, we do a weekly discussion on these topics and we do bring up some other topics as well. I mean, some, some things we go into different areas of, of what other denominations believe and um, some areas of theology. We've brought on some guests. We've brought you on uh, and, I, I, it just really kind of all came together. I mean, it only started with two people, but then I had some other people come on as guests and they just became regulars and we became like this, this group of four to five regular panelists on this discussion of scripture. And amazingly, we're all like-minded. I mean, there are some differences, subtle differences in terms of theology or eschatology and what we believe, you know, maybe happening in that area. But other than that, I mean, we were really like-minded believers in Christ. And we became an amazing, amazing. How did, you know, any of our listeners want to find it? How do they find that? So Uptime Community is what it's called. And we can be found on YouTube just by typing in Uptime Community Church or Uptime Church. Uh, and um, we do broadcast live on Tuesdays. And um, 
and I do post on Wednesdays some Bible studies from some other preachers that you may have heard of. Um, you know, we, we do have Robert Breaker on there uh, teaching. Um, I do have somebody who's a panelist by the name of Robert Hagen, an uptime panelist who does uh, teachings also, uh, which I'd like him to do a little bit more too, because uh, he's he's really has a gift for for teaching as well. Um, I know I've I've had some of your teachings on as well, brother. And uh, you know, uh, Lord willing, if you're interested in having some more of your stuff being broadcast on there, we'll certainly do that. Yeah, but, we're going to be. Uh, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of prophecy. But since I'm taking people slowly towards that, because I believe we're in the onset of the days of Noah, I believe the debauchery and the demonic and all the things that we're seeing in every area of life. I've been saying this for a while, anybody who listens or listened to Reflections in the Dark all those years, but I believe we're, we're in it. And the yeah. church, for the most part, is completely clueless and is absolutely yeah. not ready for what's coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing that strikes me the most. I've I've thought about resurrecting reflections in the dark. I just don't know if I if I want the additional work. It's a lot of work, um, mm -hmm. but the fact is that somebody sent me a newsletter with the generals of the church giving a word that was almost exactly what I said weeks ago. But my my question is: these people haven't been on a battlefield in twenty or thirty years, if ever. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? When these things begin to manifest, begin mm -hmm. to do what they're doing corporeally, whether through people or just through their physical presence, what are they going to do? I, I, it's not going to. It's not going to be good. Yeah. And just backpedaling a little bit. Um, obviously, we we know each other through you know through Byron. Um, you you contacted me like you we stated at the beginning of this. Uh, and, and that was you know i was i needed a camera person for the documentary which we're, we're going to finish i believe this year going to atchison kansas going to the sally house and the lord told me to call you i mean i knew you did video i knew you were in that world but the lord said ask greg if he wants to do it and that's how that happened and then you know mm. we took we went to kansas together and you got to see how we do things I mean, you you got to see it firsthand from the minute we got to that oh, first yeah. house that we were yep. staying at. The manifestations began. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, it was. Um, can't wait to show the people this house. Considered one of the most haunted houses in America, we slept, we praised God, we had church because the things there did not want to fight. Uh, fled pretty quickly. The you know don't want to give too much away, but uh, we had the angelic the. Uh, Archangel show up during that storm that I was yeah. able to share with people. Yeah, the whole split right stuff. down the split right down the middle on that on the radar. That was yeah. that was too much. I, I was like, so uh, yeah. So the way I I kind of I didn't want it to be too long. I wanted to try to give you kind of an overall sense. But then during that point where we were working, uh, I was working full time at that, at that mm -hmm. point. And I remember asking my boss, I would like to take this time off. They had no problem. I mean, I had a job in which the Lord provided for me. Right. He led me that job in order to provide so that it would be a vacation time that would be not a, that would be no problem. That would work right hand in hand with with the production. Um, so I was blessed to have that that position. I mean, 
just again yeah, the, the review synchronicity of all of that with everybody i mean we did have a little hiccup when we had a teammate bail out and a production person who was supposed to do all the production manager work bail out um that caused some of the problems i think has hindered this thing coming out um but god knew that there, there was the timing to it but yeah that all just flowed together pretty well it was amazing i mean it really flowed perfectly i think uh, there were some things that didn't flow as well as i wanted to on set in terms of my my uh uh, technical expertise in, in balancing between both video and well, the, audio. Well, we were shorthanded. I mean, <laughs> when we, we were wrap, definitely shorthanded. When we, when we get everybody together to wrap things up, hopefully up in New England, so you can just, like I wanted to do before the pandemic, we'll yeah. talk about all that. Um, I mean, that's why when I came home, I was exhausted. I was physically exhausted from doing everything. The team yeah. stuff, the spiritual stuff, the producer stuff, and no help. And you with, yeah. on your end. Um, yeah. with no help there should have been a lot more help that you did not get and that that kind of hindered things and that's why we're short some footage but um it, it happens especially in this kind in this kind of topic but you yeah. know it, it when it's done it'll be worth the wait yeah i can't believe that that footage wasn't there i i still can't i'm baffled by that because everything was accounted for for the what i remember it's amazing yeah yeah, a lot um, of a lot of stuff happened. A lot of supernatural things that you had to yeah. expect. Some things um, were missing, and uh, you know, can't we can I can't go back. I've been told not to come back by the powers that be of that town because they didn't want us to expose what I was going to expose. Right, and that's how they make their uh, their money. That's how they're, yeah. they're bringing yeah. in. There. So we'll I figure agree. that out. But I would like at some point to circle back on your topic from our perspective to see what was really going on. Maybe that becomes a part of um, the deep darkness. Hey, this is really what's going on. But, uh, you know, it's amazing listening to your story, how similar we are, how we, you know, we go along some of the same paths, mm -hmm. but where you are today. So, you know, we'll close out here where you are today from where you were to where the Lord, has taken to you what do you see what's next what's next for greg messina so i i know that where he has me now with uh, the technical aspect of things producing a live webcast online i think what's going to happen is is a point in which we may i may end up or he may may end up having me work on something a little bit a little bit bigger than that um but along the same lines of what my skill sets that he gave me will allow for and it will be something that will be so spectacular and so big that it can't be missed um by the world and you know we're, we're going to allow that to happen because we you know let, let your light shine upon men right so you know when you when you were talking about for Uptime Church back in 1997, I had a concept to take the idea of the porch, put it online, do live services for all the different cell groups, 
and I had this whole thing laid out and I took it to a bunch of financial people, took it to a bunch of people here in town because we got some of the best techies in the world in Orlando. One guy looked at me and said, Richard, this is absolutely awesome. Technology can't do this. I said, what hmm. you're pitching here can't be done. Well, it can be done now. That's right. And, That's right. Uh, you know, the idea and the goal here is, to, you know, for people to pray about is the Lord's given me a vision for a production facility, uh, not in Orlando, but actually north of here, wow. that we could produce full time, do this stuff, do the live stuff, the webcasting, do all of that from our own facility with our own technology and our own production funds. So that that to me is the goal. That's the project. That's the where things are going. Amen. Well, see, I think we were thinking along the same lines here because I see that too. It's going to be a bigger scale. That's kind of what I see uh, in terms of time frame and all of that. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just waiting but, on the money, uh, brother. I've got the yeah. plans. I have the yeah. designs. Everything I've designed. I had a st two studios that were going to be built here in Orlando. First one was stopped by 9-11. Um, the second one, the money for 9-11, the people disappeared. And the second one, we got hit by four hurricanes in one summer and the mm -hmm. money left. So I already mm -hmm. have all the files, all the designs. Uh, I'd have to update all the equipment because all the equipment's older. But I'm just sitting on, I'm just waiting on the Lord's money. The machine's there. I just need the gas. That's right. Well, you're <laughs> going to get it. He's going to provide. Amen. He, he always does. And Amen. Uh, he does. And I always love reviewing. What well, the I appreciate you sharing the transparency. Um, I'm hoping that our listeners, not hoping, I know that the ones who listen are the ones who are supposed to. And um, if you have a question for Greg and you want to reach out to him, you can either go to Uptime or you can send it to me via uh, Firefall Talk Radio, and then I will forward it to him. But brother, um, it's been a blessing. I'm glad we finally got it done. Yes, it's been a blessing. Thank you, brother, for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, man. God bless. God bless.